every summer, we used to head out the back door, following our mother like a bunch of ducklings, through the backyard to the American River. And my mom had set up this beach chair in the water so you know the water would go over her toes and she would slather herself with uh, iodine and uh, baby oil and she would read salacious novels while the rest of us you know splashed around and hunted for frogs and skipped stones and when the sun went down uh, we would get in these inner tubes and we would float to the Watt Avenue bridge and my mom would get in the station wagon and she would follow us so when we got to the bridge she would pick us up and we'd go home when I'm 12, we go on our first formal vacation to Lake Tahoe. We water ski and we motorboat and we make campfires and, and, and roast marshmallows. And uh, it probably was the best week of my entire life. And when the week ends, we get in that station wagon, we head down the mountain, we get home and we go inside and it's dark inside. So one of us flips on the light the house is empty. All of our furniture has been taken by my mother and she's left us. Hey there, and welcome to Grit, True Stories That Matter. Grit is a weekly podcast about stories, the contemporary personal narrative kind of story and the people that craft and tell them. Now, some weeks, a storyteller will join me right here on the podcast and tell one of their stories, and then we together break it down. Other episodes, like today, you'll hear a handful of stories from our events that we've produced like the Mental Health Happiest Hour or the 99 Second Story Slam. And today is one of those days when you'll hear more 99 Second Stories. If you've listened to the podcast, you've probably heard these kinds of stories. And today, being that we are still in season number two, dedicated entirely to women, they're all from women around the theme of mom and dad. Our stories today are from Tina McKenna, whose story you've already heard, Sharon Eisner, Tracy Starin, Shweta Bot, Silvana Clark, and Kat Dean. Thank you, ladies, for allowing me to use these stories in the Grit Podcast. As always, check the show notes for upcoming events and workshops. And a big favor, if you listen on Apple, help us out. Rate and review this podcast. It really does help people find it. It is hard to stand out. There's a lot of choices people have. So if we can get in front of a few more people that might enjoy these stories or learn something from them, well, that's what we want. So thank you very much for that. Okay, without further ado, let's dive in. I'm in 10th grade at Prospect Park, Benos Lea Yeshiva High School for Girls, which is already really weird because I'm from Santa Barbara, California. I'm in this school and I hate it. We just moved to Brooklyn because my mom became born again Jewish and Brooklyn is where they go. So the year is horrible. I'm surrounded by people I don't like. I don't have anything in common with. But one good thing happens. I am chosen to be in the concert, to be in the band for concert, which is the big, big deal. 
and I'm playing bass guitar, which I don't play, but they assure me that it's just like cello. So I'm in this concert. I'm ready to go. I'm so excited. The first good thing to happen all year. And I'm getting dressed before and I'm wearing a white shirt and I'm supposed to wear a black skirt, but I don't have a long black skirt over my knees and it's a yeshiva. So that's the deal. So I just wear what I have, which is a black skirt to my knees. Concert goes great. 300 people in the audience. Awesome. Afterwards, everybody comes up to tell us how wonderful we were. Except to me, they all add something. They all say, you were wonderful, but your skirt's too short. You were wonderful, but we could see your knees. And I start to feel humiliated, embarrassed. Why is everybody looking at my knees? And then my English teacher comes up, Edna Davis. And she says, Sharon, you did a good job, but your skirt's too short and we could see your knees. And then I felt someone behind me and it was my mother and she put her arm around my shoulder and I heard her say, well, Mrs. Davis, I think your skirt is too tight and I could see the outline of your butt. Best day ever. decided to forego the huge eighth grade blowout graduation party that Michelle Cerebella was having because my friend Lori hadn't been invited because she was pretty and she was popular and Michelle was jealous of being a mean girl. So I spent the night at Lori's house with her babysitting her little sister while their mom was out. And we were having a really good time. We ordered pizza and we rented movies. And pretty early on in the night, my mom called and she said, you know, I think I'd like to come pick you up. And I said, no, why? Don't be ridiculous. Lori's mom is going to drive me home when she gets home. And she said, well, still. And I said, no. And I was able to talk her down. And I hung up the phone. And I thought, what was that all about? And about an hour later, my mother called much more urgently this time. She said, I'm coming to get you right now. And I said, no, with a lot of teen angst. I said, why are you being like this? Stop embarrassing me. You never had a problem with Lori before or her mother. I've been here a thousand times and you never given me a hard time. And I argued with her for a while and I hung up the phone. And I said to Lori, what is going on? And about an hour later, my mother called up absolutely adamant this time. I'm coming to get you. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And we were arguing on the phone. And just at that minute, Lori's mom walked in. I said, Gail, I'm sorry, but my mom wants me to come home immediately. And we walked out the door and she drove me home. And I put my key in the door, ready to give my mother a piece of my mind. But when I walked in the door, my mother and my stepfather were standing at the top of the stairs, faces tight and jaws clenched. And they never were standing at the, at the top of the stairs when I came home. And I braced for what was coming. And my mother said, your grandmother called. And I thought, this could be anything. I have elderly grandparents. And she said, honey, I'm sorry. Your father died. A nurse came to the waiting room and told my dad, she's ready. And we both took a deep breath in and walked to the post-op room. A husband about to see his wife and a daughter about to see her mother, never knowing if she was ever gonna hear her voice again. See my mom, she has these cheekbones that sit on top of her dimples perched on top of her strong jaw and held on her neck. A neck that I saw a lump forming on every day I would come home. 
a lump she promised me was nothing until one day she told me, Shweta, I need to get surgery. They need to take my entire thyroid out. And I came home and I listened to her talk to women who had gone through the same surgery, how they had gnarly scars, lost their voice and had to take a pill every single day for the rest of their lives. My dad and I stood outside of that post-op room. My dad looked at me and his eyes whispered, I'm scared. And I said, I know me too. And we walked in, saw her attached to wires and a bandage over her throat. She looked over at us, smiled and said, hey guys. and I are emergency foster parents. We took in two boys who I'll call Sam and Eric. Their dad was in jail for murder and their mother had deserted them. Eric came with cigarette burns on his chest. So I looked at the paperwork the social worker left and I saw it was Sam's birthday and I spontaneously said, Sam, you're going to have a birthday party. The boys start jumping up and down saying, we've never had a birthday party. And I'm frantically thinking, how do I plan an instant party? Sam, I said, because you're seven years old, you get to make your own birthday cake. So I get Sam cracking the eggs and he keeps saying, is this my cake? Can I eat it? My husband takes Eric and they start decorating. Now, Eric is so excited. He's wrapping crepe paper around all our plants and around the toilet because this is a party. While the cake bakes, my husband takes the boys out to the park where we have hidden small treasure chests that we keep out there for foster kids. They come back and I have Sam spread frosting all over the cake and he adds an entire container of sprinkles. And he says, this is the world's greatest party. And the next morning, the boys come to us very earnestly and they say, can we live with you forever? And my heart just breaks in half because I have to tell them they're going to a long-term foster home. And I, I get ripped apart every time when these foster children leave our house, but I still do it because I want them to know that there are kind and funny people in the world that would never hurt them. with my mom and it's been raining so I'm wearing my big bird yellow raincoat and I'm pouting because I hate the big bird yellow raincoat it's for babies and, and I'm five I'm not a baby I'm five and a half even and, and I deserve a mature raincoat like my friend Stacy has it's blue and it has the bunny ears on top but mom says that this this yellow raincoat makes it easier for cars to see me so I'm stuck with it but then I'm, I see a treasure on the ground. It's a quarter, real money. You can, buy a, you can buy a candy bar with a quarter. I need that quarter. So I yank my hand out of my mom's hand and I dart over to get this treasure. And, and I hear it, the sound of 
breaks uh, and my mom screaming. And I look up to see a woman at the, at the behind the steering wheel of a car and she's looking really shaken. And she rolls the window down of her car and she shouts out the window to my mom. Thank God for that yellow raincoat or I wouldn't have seen her in time. My heart just sinks. It wasn't a freaking quarter, it was a, it was a beer tab. And now I'm never gonna get rid of this stupid raincoat. The reason that my mother left us uh, had been determined by the court. She'd lost custody of us because she had taken up with a very young man, 27, she was 40. So uh, my father got custody of us and uh, we lived with him for several years and eventually his mistress joins him. Uh, he marries her and a week after that, he takes his life. But my mother and the young man, his name was Andy Dyers, they stay together for 50 years until her death at age 90. And I absolutely adored that man. Now they had a strange relationship because they never, they never lived together. And on my mother's deathbed, I find out why turns out that his name was not Andy Dyers. It was Enda McGuire, Father Enda McGuire, SJ, Roman Catholic priest and the parish pastor at St. Joaquin's in Lockford, California. So it's clear why uh, in all those years, he never showed up for Christmas or Easter and never on a Sunday. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support and special thanks to our storytellers, Tina McKenna, who, surprise, surprise, had that second 99 that capped off this episode, Sharon Eisner, Tracy Starin, Shweta Bhatt, Sylvana Clark, and Kat Dean. Thank you, ladies. As always, check the show notes for upcoming workshops and events, including this Sunday's Mental Health Happyish Hour. It's an open mic. And next weekend's Deja True 2. This is a unique kind of story you don't want to miss. So come join us. It'll be a lot of fun. That's all for episode number 44. Boom.